Welcome to the West Side Audio Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. And if you're looking for more ways to connect with West Side Assembly of God, feel free to check us out at www.westsideag.org. You'll find all the information about our service times, upcoming events, and opportunities for you to plug in and get connected with West Side Assembly of God. Additionally, you'll find a complete online archive of all of the previous and current messages absolutely free of charge. We hope you are encouraged by this week's message, and thanks again for downloading the West Side Audio Message Podcast. Is how can I convey to you the full thrust of what good news means? And if I were to take the mic, and I'm not going to do this, but I'm just supposing if I were to take the mic and go out among the congregation and ask you the question, what is the good news? I suppose that there would be a few predictable answers to that. What is the good news? Somebody might say, well, Jesus saves. What is the good news? He is risen from the dead. What is the good news? He's coming again. And these are all a part of the good news, but they are such a small part of the good news, we're missing the real message of the gospel. So here I am trying to convey to you something larger than perhaps we have really considered at this time. My prayer, my hope, my goal is that you will walk from this service today after this sermon and possess such a greater concept of the gospel, of the good news, than what you've ever had before. In Matthew 24, 14, Jesus said, This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Now, that's an interesting passage of Scripture, isn't it? Prophesying things that are going to happen. The good news will be preached as a testimony to all nations. And then, the interesting part is, then the end will come. And I just wish we could unpack that without any mystery so we could fully comprehend what he's saying and when this is going to happen and what it's going to be like. But there's a lot of prophetic speculation associated with this. I don't know that any of us have it right, but one thing for sure, it has our attention. This gospel, and don't ignore the other part, of the kingdom, this gospel of the kingdom. Mark 16, 15 is another popular passage of Scripture. He said to them, and this is right from what we call the Great Commission, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Well, if we know what the gospel is, then we can do that. But do you realize whenever he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, we didn't have a New Testament. When we go and we preach the gospel, we preach the stories we read about. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the story of the birth of the church in Acts, the letters that Paul wrote to the churches, these are all what we consider the gospel. And we go and preach these things and concepts derived from those writings. But they didn't have anything. Yet he told them, go and preach the gospel. 
What were they thinking they were going to preach? See, for us, the gospel is largely considered uh, literature. For them, it was all oral. It was all the telling of something that they understood, that they knew, that they comprehended. The gospel was purely oral. For us, it's probably 99% written. So it's changed somewhat. Luke 4.18, Matthew chapter 4 is a parallel passage. Luke chapter 4. He stands in his synagogue of his own hometown. And when there's an opportunity for him to stand and read... He chooses the book of Isaiah, and he reads, which would have been very appropriate. Except what he does with this passage is very shocking and upsetting to these people. So Jesus stands, and he selects a passage of Scripture very meticulously, very purposefully. And he reads these words from Isaiah, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel. To the poor. He didn't rely on a collection of books we call New Testament, but he went to proclaim good news. So he wasn't proclaiming the stories as recorded by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They hadn't been recorded yet. They hadn't even happened yet. He wasn't recording the thoughts of Paul. None of that happened yet. But he came and he said, the Spirit is upon me. He's anointed me to preach the gospel. What's the gospel? What is it he was preaching to them? What is the good news? He said he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those that are are oppressed. Luke 7.22, just a few chapters later in Luke's recording, uh, uh, in Luke, Uh, Luke's writings, it's recorded, Jesus answered and said to them, go and tell John the things you have seen and heard, the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached unto them. From the book of what? Somebody was proclaiming something that was deemed to be good news. couple chapters later, the book of Luke, chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. He called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he said to them, take nothing for the journey, neither staffs, nor bags, nor bread, nor money, do not have two tunics apiece. And whatever house you enter into, stay there and from there depart. And whoever will not receive you when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So they departed and went through the towns preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now those are just samples that serve to determine how many ways, how many times it is said the gospel was preached. Then you go to the book of Acts, and you see the disciples that are preaching the gospel. 
the good news, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. So what do you think that they were saying when Jesus sent his men out and told him to preach the gospel of the kingdom? Do you think they went out and said, you can be saved? But I don't think they understood the concept of being saved. They were not preaching a salvation message. What were they preaching? It's a message that should be preached today. It's a message that I think we have overlooked, forgotten, shortened. We've abbreviated it to those little cliches that we are accustomed to in Christianity. So we want to go down on the street corner in Davenport, and we want to preach the gospel. We'll probably preach a salvation message. The good news is you can be saved from your sins. And we have not really hit the meat of the good news. The early apostles preached the news of Jesus. The English word, there is an English word called kerygma. It's a very close rendering of the actual Greek word used to describe the message of Christ spread by his followers. And the apostles called their kerygma the gospel. They chose to call it that. And then there's a Greek word which looks to us like evangelion, evangelism, evangelize, the term that was good news. And we translate the good news as gospel. It was a term that already existed before they coined it for the Christian message. Rome had a gospel. They had an evangelion. They had an evangelistic message. It was a term of political propaganda that they spread the good news And the good news always had to do with announcing the birth or the ascension of a Roman emperor. And as a part of the Roman practice of emperor worship, the Romans were brainwashing people that anything to do with the emperor was good news. There is born a child who is destined to be emperor, and they took it to the Roman territory, the Roman citizens. Good news. We've got a new emperor on the way. Or the emperor comes to town and makes a presentation. Good news. The emperor is coming. Gospel. Evangelion. This was not good news for everybody. This was propaganda. As a matter of fact, let's maybe try and apply it to some situation today and see if that helps you to feel the anxiety that the Jews felt for this false good news. And I just choose randomly to use North Korea as an example. Kim Jong-un, this ruthless dictator who presided over the execution of his own uncle. Yet, when he makes an appearance, 
they put on these flamboyant parades and celebrations. And they're all orchestrated and people are commanded to attend and to celebrate and to rejoice, even though they recognize this man is ruthless, wicked. So anytime Kim Jong-un appears, everybody turns out and celebrates the propaganda of good news. The leader, the dictator, it's good news. Now, can you imagine the North Koreans spreading the good news? Good news! Our leader is coming! That's not good news. You die if you don't play the game. Well, you understand now how the people in Rome felt? When they're spreading the good news of the emperors, you realize how wicked the emperors were, how unsympathetic they were to the Jews, how what Rome did and the worship of the emperors graded against the religious sensibilities of the Jews. That's no God. That's a man. Not only is he a man, he's a wicked man. And you worship him. And we don't worship him. We, uh, We worship one God. And so they come bringing the good news, which was irritating, chafing news to the Jews. Yet, strangely enough, this is the word that already existed, abused, unappreciated, evangelion. They could only associate it with the worst possible news they could think of, is this oppressive dictator over us. And that's the word that in God's providence and God's wisdom they chose to use when Jesus stood up and borrowed that word from the Romans and said, I've got my own kind of good news. And my good news is good news. And the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he has anointed me for a purpose. And that purpose is to bring evangelion. To bring the gospel. To bring the good news like you've never heard before. And people will rejoice to hear what I bring. He was anointed for the purpose of bringing good news. The world wasn't used to genuine good news. They were used to the propaganda that went on. Here comes Jesus with his own brand of perfect good news. Now, do you sometimes feel overwhelmed by bad news? Do you sometimes just want to turn the news off and never tune in again, but you're scared not to? Do you ever get discouraged that it seems like every week that goes by, if not every day that goes by, something else happens in the news that just gets your blood curdling? We are surrounded by bad news. And it's appropriate for the church to address the conditions of the world around us. I'll tell you why. Because Jesus talked about, prophetically, the conditions of the world. Paul talked prophetically about the conditions of the world. Jesus said, before he returns, 
There's going to be wars. There's going to be rumors of wars. Nations are going to be rising up against nations, kingdoms against kingdoms. He speaks of the lethargy of the people who will, like the people in the days of Noah, just eat and drink and marry and carry on in their daily activities as though nothing is ever going to happen, totally rejecting the warnings of Noah that judgment is coming. And Jesus paints this picture of what the world conditions are going to be like. There's nothing in there that sounds like good news. Yet we are living and seeing the fulfillment of these fallen conditions all around us. Paul spoke of conditions preceding the coming of the Lord. One of his famous passages, he says, perilous times are going to come. And now we can say perilous times are here. And more perilous times are to come. And here's just a few of the things that Paul used to describe those perilous times. He said there's going to be this this abundance of false teachers rising up, which should put us on guard. We don't want to be misled and duped by the false teachers. We want to stay on the solid gospel because the very elect can be deceived. But if we don't dig into God's word and prepare us, we can be fooled. We can be misled. False Christs, false teachers. Paul said, There's going to be rampant apostasy, ritualistic, legalistic religion that supplants the simplicity of salvation and grace. He said there's going to be haters of good and lovers of evil, which is just a flip-flop of the way things ought to be. You ought to love good and hate evil. Paul said it's not going to be that in the last days. People are going to love evil and hate good. You feel like you're seeing that? Did Paul not nail it? Speaking of world conditions. He said they will be lovers of evil people. He said they would be so addicted to their pleasures that they forget God. And in general, this condition of depravity so deep and so vile as to be nearly indescribable with mere words. You just have to see it to believe it. And we're seeing it. Therefore, if the Bible speaks of these deteriorating conditions, it is appropriate for us as a church, for me as a pastor, to speak of world conditions. And here's just a few of the conditions that we're seeing today, just in general. We see conditions of citizens here in the United States rising up against governmental powers. Now, we've seen this around the world for years. But here in the United States, it's been pretty calm Except suddenly we're seeing citizens rising up against governmental powers. We've seen now that the militia is gathering together all of the volunteer forces they can to go out to Murrieta, California and protect the town against the the illegal aliens that are being bussed in. Now, that's not a commentary this morning on what is right and what is wrong. It's a commentary on the militia rising up and opposing what the government's trying to do. We've not seen this in our day and time, but we're seeing it. Or the the Bundy Ranch standoff. 
And this is not the end of it. We're seeing these things beginning to happen, and it's upsetting because we're not used to living in a country like that. But it's not just here, it's around the world. As you look at other countries in much worse shape than we are. Number two, we see the economy worldwide is absolutely crumbling when complete countries are going bankrupt. And the collapse of Greece and experts who are saying that China, because of the trajectory they're on, are just not far behind the collapse like Greece. Headed for a similar economic crash. And the economists tell us the United States is in now worse shape than Greece was when it fell. Here in the United States, our debt has exploded to levels that can never be paid back. Don't fool yourselves. It will not be paid back. We'll default somehow. There is not enough money to do that. Things that used to be safe or profitable investments are just imploding. Bitcoins that people were jumping into and earning indecent profits took a nosedive recently, losing 70% of their value in two days. I hope you weren't invested. Gold dropped below $1,500 for the first time in three years. Silver fell by 5%. Oil declined by 3%. Consumer confidence plunged to a nine-month low and the biggest miss to the expectations and predictions in United States history. The number of people removing their money from 401ks has skyrocketed. Spanish companies are filing bankruptcy, and that has risen by 45% in Spain. The coal industry is reeling from the EPA requirements that are now being implemented and just about ready to collapse. We're told that the cost of electricity now because of the collapse of the coal industry is going to double, triple, and quadruple. Get ready. And the latest reports show there are now a greater percentage of people now, today, living on welfare in the United States than ever in the history of our country. Then we have the example of worldwide unrest with Mexican helicopters wandering into U.S. territory and opening fire on American border patrols. That's an act of war. Iraq has fallen into the hands of the Islamic State in Iraq and Syria, and for the first time in modern history, terrorists now control an entire country, its wealth, and its military assets. And these people have vowed unceasing war against the United States. They've already issued uh, threats against the United States that they will return with a vengeance. In Israel, in the hot spot there, Hamas has launched over 2,000 rockets into Israel over the past two years. Over 450 in 2014 alone. A shower of 84 rockets last Wednesday. And Christians are left scratching their heads wondering... Why our nation chooses to sympathize with Hamas and berate Israel? We don't understand from a Christian perspective. Do we have troubles in the world today? And does it seem a little bit overwhelming? Does it seem a little bit discouraging? But see, I mention these things. Not to leave you in a state of distress. We are aware of the bad news. I mention this because I want to juxtapose that against the good news that you can leave today with a dose of good news that helps you understand we are not without hope. And it doesn't matter what the bad news is or how bad it gets. We have an enduring good news that is greater than the bad news. It overshadows the bad news. They can't tell us anything bad enough. 
that diminishes the good news that we have. We have only scratched the surface of the disturbing things that are happening in the world around us. We have not even addressed the moral deterioration of our nation, the normalizing and celebration of perversions, the brainwashing of our children, and the alarming persecution of Christians right here in the United States. That news comes to us daily. And it's so shocking, we're stunned. We feel as though we're living in a twilight zone. Are we really here? Is this really happening to us? But Jesus said, he sent me and anointed me to preach good news. And the culture he went into was just as oppressed as what you feel in your country today. He went into his own and the Jews that did not have a country. The Jews that were losing their identity. The Jews who were under Roman authority and didn't want to be there. Except Jesus came to them and announced very simply from a synagogue in Nazareth. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he has empowered me and anointed me and appointed me to come and give you a dose of good news. They didn't know what to think of that. They were thinking in terms of Isaiah saying that. And that was an an encouraging passage of Scripture. Until Jesus said, as he closed the book, and he said, today is fulfilled. Now you would think that would be great news. The fulfillment of prophecy today, it is here. Who Isaiah spoke of is embodied in this man that stands before us. The good news, the messenger has come. You would think this would be a revival in a synagogue, wouldn't you? Except it made them angry. And they said, did you hear what he said? Did he say what I think he said? Is he putting himself on the same plane with Isaiah the prophet? Is he proclaiming to himself to be the fulfillment of this? And they talked about it quickly and decided the only appropriate thing to do is to escort him outside of town and throw him off a cliff. And that'll fix that. They were getting ready to throw the gospel over the cliff. They didn't get it. They missed the good news. He said, I came to proclaim the good news. And he told them the good news. Blind eyes are going to be opened. The, the, those that are bruised are going to be set free. Those that are in prison are going to be liberated. I'm going to preach good news to the poor. This is what I'm going to do. I have come to do this. He's appointed me. I am here for no other reason than to bring good news to oppressed people. And they said, let's kill him. It boggles the mind that they can't understand. In the process of trying to execute him, he escapes. And he goes into another synagogue and he does some healing there. And the Bible says many were healed and delivered from demonic possession and oppression. He delivers the man possessed of the demon, goes to the house of Simon, and people begin to gather because they're catching a whiff of the good news. Somebody's hearing it. Somebody's getting inspired. And somebody's going around saying there's a man. And he's delivering the demon possessed. And he's healing the sick. And they got excited. It was good news. 
And they told their neighbor. And they went home and they got, they got their relatives, they got their friends, and they said, let's go. Somebody over there is finally doing something about our pitiful condition. Let's go see him. And the good news began to spread. And they go to Simon's house, and they're gathering outside of Simon's house, and Jesus steps outside. And he says to them, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns also. I can't stay here. They begged him to stay. Won't you just stay a little while? We like the good news. He said, I can't stay. I can't stay. I've got to take the good news. There's too many people wanting to hear the good news. I must go. Jesus said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns also because that is why I was sent. That's at the end of the fourth chapter, where at the beginning he says, here's my mission. I was sent here for this purpose. I was anointed for this purpose. At the end of the chapter, he says, I have to go somewhere else because this is my purpose, to bring good news. People are waiting and hungering and thirsting and desiring to hear the good news. But when Jesus was spreading this good news, he wasn't going in and saying, repent. But the kingdom of God is at hand. That was John the Baptist's message. He would shake his bony finger in the face of the Pharisees and you brood of vipers, you snakes, repent. The axe is laid to the root of the tree. Every tree not found to be bringing forth good fruit is being cast into the fire. That was his message. But Jesus didn't come and say that. He wasn't worried about preaching the message of repentance. John can do that just fine. He came and he told people that were losing hope or had already lost hope, your condition is not terminal. All hope is not gone. Tell the blind man there's healing for his blindness. Tell the crippled man there's hope he can walk again. And it very simply says, time and again, to preach the gospel to the poor. Good news to the poor. The poor who were the oppressed and the depressed. The poor who woke up every day wondering how they were going to survive. Go and tell them things are about to change. Things are going to get better. He was giving hope to every class of hopeless person. That's the good news of the kingdom. The good news that we should be taking forth based on the appearance of Jesus Christ, the incarnation, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We might be spending more of our time telling people they ought to get saved. But I think the real thrust of the message that the world needs to hear, the real gospel that we need to be preaching, is telling people who are so despondent that they're putting the end of the gun barrel in their mouth and thinking this is the end, that they're standing on the edge of the bridge waiting to leap into the inky black waters below, that they are ready to give up on life, that they're ready to give up on relationships, that they're ready to give up on their job and their career. The gospel message is there's good news. There's good news. There is hope for you. I don't care how bad it seems. If you can get a hold of God, there is hope for you. You don't have to give it up. That
brought the news, there's a better way, and he made a way so that people wouldn't have to despair. You've got friends and family that have no hope. You need to be telling them there is hope. And when they get so tired and so hungry and so despondent that they finally say, what is the hope? You can tell them. Jesus came to tell you there is good news that in him and through God, you don't have to despair. God has an answer for your problem. Now that's where you need to begin with the good news. Not beginning with you need to repent, but beginning with you understand there is no hope in this world, but there is hope in Jesus Christ. So the good news, there's a man. Like the woman at the well, come here a man. He told me all the things I ever did. Come see a man. The good news, they had found somebody who was delivering on the goods. And Jesus chooses this quote from Isaiah. In theological circles, you might want to make note of this. In theological circles, Isaiah is considered the fifth gospel. Write that down. I would say the chances are you've never heard that before. Isaiah is the fifth gospel from the 40th chapter on to the end. The futuristic nature of Isaiah is about hope. It's about something new. Something better. And as the people have studied Isaiah and realized how much of Isaiah was pointing towards hope, pointing towards a Messiah, pointing towards somebody who was going to come and set things right, it's understandable why it was called the fifth gospel. When you see how many times Isaiah is quoted by New Testament writers, you realize that Isaiah was really the framework for what they wrote. They went back and took the good news of Isaiah and they noted its fulfillment, the fulfillment of those passages and those scriptures. So Jesus chose Isaiah. And he reads from Isaiah as Isaiah prophesies, sees down through the periscope of time. Somebody one of these days is going to come It's going to heal the sick. It's going to set the captive free. It's going to bring good news that even under the impression of the severe government of Rome, Jesus came and said, but there is a kingdom. Because remember when I said, don't neglect. It's called the gospel of the kingdom. The good news. This world is not my home. I'm only passing through. I'm just in a camping situation. I'm not settled here. This is not where we belong. This is just a place to go through till we get to the other side. There's a kingdom coming. God is going to set everything right. Jesus brought this message of hope not only to the people of his day and his time, but he brought the message of hope to the whole world and for all ages. He brought the good news of the kingdom that we should still be preaching today. It's the major theme of the gospel. It was at the core of the trial of Jesus Christ when Pilate asked him point blank, are you a king? And Jesus replied to him and he said, I am, but my kingdom is not of this world. And then the Jews turned and twisted that around and they used that against him in trying to convict him. 
He said in John 18, in fact, the reason I was born, I like the way this is put. This is emphatic. The reason I was born and the reason I came into this world is to tell the world the truth. And everyone on the side of truth is going to listen to me. Then he points back to his declaration in Luke 4, when after announcing his anointing for ministry, he also outlined his ministry, his mission. He says, I must proclaim the kingdom of God to other towns also. This is why I came. So it was this clear declaration of Jesus to the Jews. There's good news. Some received it, some didn't. And the Jews crucified the good news. They rejected the good news. The good news, the evangelion of the Roman Empire that chafed them so much. That repeated message about the glorious emperor. We worship the emperor. We love the emperor. That news that just burned in their ears every time they heard it suddenly became the message that they clung to as they said, we have no king but Caesar. And Jesus brought the good news and they rejected it and they bought into the old bad news. It just blows the mind to try and comprehend how twisted and how wrong they could possibly be at this point. But we see people doing that sometimes, don't we? You've seen the family or the friends that eat up the junk of the world. They reject the precious gems of God. Sometimes you haul into church and they sit there and they fidget and they tap their foot and they can't stand it and they got to get out of there. They can't wait to go home and go back to the old bad news because they like it so well. They just rejected the good news and they go back to the bad news. You've seen it before. You know those who are running from the pure waters of the fountain of life so they can go drink from the sewers of ungodliness. Does it make any sense when we see people push away from God's banquet table and go rummage through the garbage bins for the bits of spoiled and rotting food? And how do we explain the people who would rather sacrifice their health, their future, their reputation, their happiness in pursuing the thrills and the pleasures of carnality rather than to find the perfect peace, the unspeakable joy, and the abundant life through Jesus Christ. It defies explanation. But like the Jews, they rejected the good news and they clung to the bad news. But the good news is, no matter how bleak our future may look here on earth and no matter how hopeless the future of our nation may appear to be, no matter how deep in debt our nation is, and no matter how unstable this world is with all the saber rattling from all the nations bent on destroying each other, no matter how fast it seems our nation is sliding into hell, we have to remember we are possessing the good news. That's not the way. It's all going to end. The world is not going to implode upon itself. We're not going to perish in a nuclear war. But the good news is there's another kingdom. Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You can't pray the Lord's Prayer and lose hope because you realize, first of all, oh yes, there's another kingdom. And you realize, second of all, we are to pray for that kingdom to come. We're praying for the return of our king. 
He's not late. He's not slack. He hasn't forgotten us. He has not abandoned his plan. He's right on time. And when he comes, the mountains are going to be laid low. The valleys are going to be elevated. The crooked paths are going to be made straight. Kings and tyrants and emperors are going to lose their employment when Jesus says, You're fired. I have returned. I'm in charge now. And they have to step down for every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Ex-Marine Sergeant Andrew Timarasi is sitting in a Mexican prison having accidentally crossed over into Mexico in possession of legal firearms, but they were not legal in Mexico. At the border station, he confessed, I don't want to be here. I'm trying to get back to the United States. I have firearms. They threw him in prison. He sits there in prison. He realizes one thing, one word from the president. And he could be free. He sits and he waits. Just one word. Where's my leader? I want to be free. Where's my leader? Pick up a phone, Mr. President. Make a phone call. Get me out of here. I am innocent. I do not belong in this prison. Where's my leader? Where's my leader? I'm glad I'm not there. I'd be so frustrated. I feel sorry for him. I feel sorry for his family. But I only say that to say this. There are people in prison that are waiting for their leader. And he's not forgetting to make the phone call. He hasn't forgotten them. He's not disinterested. Jesus said, I came for a purpose. I came because there's people sitting in prison that don't belong there. I came to make the phone call. I came to get them out of prison. I came to go down and open up the prison doors and walk them out. They're not waiting on him because he's late. He's right on time. It's good news. When Jesus comes back, the prison doors are going to fly open and those who have been wrongfully incarcerated are going to walk out. When Jesus comes, we won't have to worry about him being disinterested in the oppressed and the abused. We won't have to worry about him having the power but not having the will. We won't have to worry about him not fulfilling his promise. He said, I'm going to come and set at liberty those that are bruised. I'm going to set the captive free. And once again, he says, I'm going to preach the news, the good news to the poor. And we've heard it. And we keep wondering, what is this good news to the poor? What is this good news to the poor? I mean, he he heals some people. He sets some people free. And to the poor, he didn't say, and I'm going to come and give you wealth. He didn't say, I'm going to come and sign you up for benefits. That's not good news. He said, I'm going to tell you some good news. And preach the gospel to the poor. To tell the poor, not that what you need is more money, but what you need is hope. Hope that goes beyond what a dollar can buy. Hope that God has not forgotten you. Hope that God talked about the poor more than any other class. Hope that God sees you. Hope knowing that he cares, that he's going to do something about your plight. That those who have abused you and those who have stolen from you and those who have trodden you underfoot and those who have neglected you, God's going to come and change that. He's going to change it. He'll restore sight to the blind and is doing that. 
heal the brokenhearted, running the ruthless dictators out of town and setting his people free. Jesus is coming to hit the reset button on this world. The financial crisis is going to be over because when he walks in and takes over, he says, it's the year of Jubilee. (laughs) All debts are eradicated. We're starting over. He's not going to put a plan together to pay off the debts. It's over. It's done. Nobody owes anybody anything. All the property is going to revert to the rightful owner. All the wrongs are going to be made right. Every error is going to be corrected. He's going to fire Congress. I want to be there. He's going to dismiss every dictator, every president, every king, every queen, every governor. He's going to dismantle the broken political system of this world. And he's going to shut the door on the United Nations and force every military force in the world to lay down their arms. Because the king is here. The man has come. There will be no more terrorists looking, lurking about. They won't be legal. They'll be stopped. They're going out of business. There's not going to be any more famine and starvation in third world countries because Jesus said it's over. It's done. No more starving. Everything is going to be restored. There's not going to be any more raping and murdering and stealing. No more corrupt politicians manipulating the system to line their own pockets. No more protesters demanding special treatment. No more celebrating sin and punishing righteousness because the king has come. And the good news is, Jesus said, I'm a king. I've got a kingdom. And sometime I'm coming back and we're going to live like you ought to be living. Now, you may not get justice in this life, but the good news is, if you love God, you're going to have another chance at justice. When you come into God's kingdom, and everything is going to be made right. That's good news. I can endure a few more years here on earth because I realize I have something better to look forward to. There's something better than this world. This world disappoints. But the gospel of the kingdom is there's another king coming. And John, the revelator, recorded that great prophecy, that revelation of things to come. And at the end, Jesus said, I'm coming quickly. And John said, that's the way I want you to come. Even so, quickly. Even so. Come. Bow your heads.